0: Good morning to my NLH family. So good to see all of you this morning. And I thank God for the privilege of sharing with you again this morning. So, last week we started talking about humility, and the topic of the message last week was lessons from Jesus's humility. And that song that we just listened to sums it up He's the king of humility. And because of his humility, we have the benefit of salvation. And last week, we looked at what is humility, and I also delved into the life of Jesus and his walk of humility. We looked at how Jesus condescended to the level of man so we could experience salvation. We looked at how he condescended to the level of man so God's purpose could be fulfilled in his life. He was baptized by man for the fulfillment of purpose and because jesus walked the life of humility we experience the resurrection power his humility released the resurrection power of god his humility fulfilled the purpose of god his humility teaches us to trust god's providence knowing that or recognizing that god knows what is best for us at all times And though Satan's temptation may come based on on needs that we have, he may choose not to meet that need in a way that we expect it to be met. But in his providence, he will determine how best to address the situation as it arises in our lives. And the last thing we looked at is Jesus's life of humility teaches us to trust God's promises concerning his provision towards us. And so... Those are the four things that I focused on last week, power, purpose, providence, and promises. And this week, I want us to look at Jesus's walk in humility from a different perspective. And we ended last week by looking at um or we we last week rather was focused or began pardon me, by looking at Matthew three. The end of Matthew 3, where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And this week, we want to start by looking at Matthew 4, which was also part of our text last week. And uh, I want us to listen to the reading of this scripture, Matthew 4, from verse 1 to 11. And that is going to be the foundation of the message this morning. So you can go ahead, Sister Tashina. Mm -hmm.
1: Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him.
0: Thank you. So we see in the temptation of Jesus by Satan that every time Satan tempted Jesus, he started by saying, if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. But remember how chapter 3 ended. Chapter 3 ended after Jesus was baptized by John. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And the voice of God was heard saying, This is my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Yet not long after that, right after that, as Jesus was led in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted, Satan says, If you are the son of God, Satan was questioning Jesus' identity, knowing fully well who he was. And yet again, from Jesus' response, we see him setting an example for us, how to respond to Satan's temptation, to question our identity. Jesus was humble because he knew his position in God. And so the fifth thing I want to look at as I continue this message is humility comes when we know our position in God. By saying, if you are the son of God, do this. Satan was saying, prove who you are. Prove that you are God's son and you have the power to turn stones into bread. Prove that your father will send angels to rescue you. Notice that Jesus never told Satan who he was, you know. Satan already knew who he was. As children of God, Satan already knows who we are. are. And like he did to Jesus, he will challenge us to question our identity in God. Satan wants us to question who we are as children of God. And he will do all that he can to shake the testimony that we are indeed sons of God. And a struggle with being humble will will come when we forget our position in God. But where did it all start? I listened to a message recently by Daria Black, and he used Eve as a reference in making a point. And I want to share that this morning. In Genesis 1, it says that God made man in his image and likeness. In Genesis 3, Satan comes to Eve and says, if you eat of the fruit, you will become like God. But God already established from Genesis 1 that man was made in his image and likeness. Yet, not long after that, in Genesis 3, Satan comes by tempting Eve by causing her to question her identity, which God had already established similarly at the end of Matthew three god established and we was even from the beginning of time that jesus was his son he said this is my son jesus's identity was already established but satan comes and says if you are the son of god who we are in god who you are in god is already established and we need to remember what the word of god says about us and when we're tempted to be prideful, we use the word as a weapon against Satan. We as children of God need to say, it is written. As a child of God, I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ, co-heir with Christ. Ephesians 1 5 says, He has predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That is what the scripture says about us. 1 John 3, 1 says, I will look with wonder at the depth of the father's marvelous love that he has lavished on me. He has called me and made me his very own beloved child. That is what we should be saying to ourselves. We are children of God. And you may be listening to me and you're thinking, so how does this apply to me? What, what, what how, do, how is this? How is this relevant? Let's revisit the first temptation. Satan identified a physical need that Jesus had, and he tempted him to do something about that physical need. He tempted him to seek to satisfy that physical need. That was Satan's bait. What is your bait? The devil has identified a need that you have born out of something. And, and and my brothers and sisters, this is where the rubber meets the road. And so we're going to spend some time delving into this this morning in terms of our identity and why it is the enemy seeks to attack us in this way. Until I started preparing for this message, and this was from preparation of part one, I did not realize how much we are bombarded with sinful pride, how much it is inculcated and nurtured often without us even recognizing it. And as I was preparing, the Lord took me back to the days of my childhood, right through to current, And he opened my eyes to how easily we can become prideful. And what do I mean by that? I remember in primary school, I don't know how many of you went to primary school in Jamaica, but I remember in primary school, it was a source of pride not just for the student, but also for parents to skip grade five. So for those who don't know the structure, we have grade one to six. And grade six is where we take an entrance exam to now move on to the next level, which will be secondary high school. And it was a source of pride to skip grade five, because if you skip grade five, you are considered one of the smarter children. I don't know if that was the case in all, all primary schools, but it was at the primary school I attended. And so when you skip grade five, you have to spend two years in grade six, because remember, you can only take that entrance exam in my days, common entrance at a certain age. So you you wouldn't mind spending two years in grade six because we skipped grade five. And it means that you're bright because you skipped grade five. And the Lord showed me that even as young as that age, that was pridefulness, because Why? Because at that age, if you skip grade five to grade six, you know, we're conditioned to look down on grade five students because they're not as bright as you. Imagine that from as young as eight, nine years old. We're conditioned to be prideful. And let's move on from there. So you finish grade six, you take your entrance exam, your common entrance exam, and the next issue now becomes which school did you pass for? Again, in my time, you prefer to pass for a high school, not a secondary school. And so if you pass for a high school, you're tempted to look down on children who go to secondary school. And that again is a source of pridefulness. Pass high school, now you go now into adulthood. There's so much around us as adults to foster pride. I was walking at the stadium recently and the Lord opened my eyes to something. As I walked around the stadium, there are signs, and you see bleachers. Bleachers is where the, the general, general, the general seating area, those are the least expensive tickets. And then there's grandstand. The grandstand is a covered area near the finish line. But this is this is what the Lord opened my eyes to. Not only was there bleachers and grandstand, but in the grandstand entrance section, there was general grandstand and there was VIP grandstand, and then not just VIP grandstand, but there was another sign that says VVIP. So, so, so here it is: we're creating levels of distinguishing. I'm in this category. No, no, no. I'm in this category. No, no. I'm in this category, and that again, the Lord opened my eyes to see that's a source of pridefulness. It can foster. Pridefulness. And it continues. Where do we live? Upper St. Andrew, downtown, Uptown, Upper Manhattan, Lower Manhattan. Everything around us is, is, is structured in a way to want to tempt us to look down on somebody else because of circumstances, because of status. Now it's evolved into social media. On TikTok, if you have a blue check mark, that's an indication of you either a person of, of, of status in terms of being a celebrity, or you have a certain number of followers. And so people, people aspire to get a blue check mark in TikTok. That was before Musk took over, Elon Musk. What, what happened when he took over? He recognized that, oh, this, this, I can make some money here, man. A few weeks ago, TikTok started selling blue check marks. Why? Because they recognize first people had a desire for status, and TikTok made six hundred and sixty million U.S. dollars in one day because forty-four million people decided to spend fifteen dollars to buy a blue check mark. Imagine that. Again, because it's a desire to distinguish oneself from somebody else. Why am I saying all of this? For many of us, we have given into the temptation to allow ourselves to be defined by what society dictates is important and is meaningful. And by so doing, we gain validation and a sense of importance, not from our position as children of God, but from the world's view. In the world's eye, it is important. And why does this happen? It happens because of a need satan's bait when he first tempted jesus to turn stones into bread was a physical need born out of the lack of food how about you what is it that satan is baiting you with who are you in the examples that i gave before maybe not literally but look at it metaphorically where do you see yourself remember the types of pride that we looked at in part one maybe Your struggle is with self-exaltation, giving credit to yourself for hard work and accomplishments. You did it. And this happens, why? Because you may have grown up being told or thinking that you could never achieve anything. You forget James 1, 16 and 17, where the word reminds us that we should not be deceived because every good thing comes from God maybe it is you were that grade 5 student or the secondary school student who you weren't considered smart and so you grew up with an identity issue and so yeah. people need to know that you have become somebody and your identity now becomes what you have acquired you have developed pridefulness Pedro chung puts, puts it this way and I quote Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. And I end quote. Competing to be better than somebody else happens when we forget our position in God. We are not defined by our positions. We are defined by our position. And we need to remember that as children of God. And you may be listening and you're saying, well, self-exaltation is not not my struggle. I don't don't praise myself. But maybe it is that you desire validation and recognition from others. So you engage in self-promotion. Sinful pride. That causes us to invite credit from others. So instead of exalting yourself, you want others to exalt you. You present your successes so that others can compliment you. You are that person who is on the inside screaming, see me, look at me, here I am. Look what I have accomplished. Pat me on the back because I didn't have any help. I struggled and I did this all by myself. I earned it by myself. Nobody gave me any handouts. Satan has identified a need that you have, a need to feel validated. And he's taken advantage of that need. But I'm here to remind us that as Christians, we are God's children. And being secure in who we are means that we have nothing to prove. Do not allow Satan to entice you to question your identity in God. Status, possessions, accomplishments, titles, addresses do not define us. Jesus' response to Satan's temptation set the example for us. And it's proved to us that when we know who we are and walk in the identity of who we are, then humility should be our default position. But is that the case? Oftentimes it is not. And we looked at self-exaltation, self-promotion, and you may be saying, I don't exalt myself. I don't seek to promote myself. But how about self-justification? Self-justification is sinful pride where we expect praise from God himself. So you're not prideful because of your accomplishments or your positions or your status. But maybe Satan's bait for you is born out of an emotional need. Your worth is tied to what you do for God. And so you work and give to receive validation and recognition from God. You believe that you can earn God's reward or commendation through your own actions. And the scripture says that God indeed promises us a heavenly reward. But we must always remember that our righteousness and ability to obey is through salvation and the Holy Spirit and not from our own doing. Matthew 5 reminds us, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. So it is critically important that we do not do for God to receive praise from god or service to god must be out of love for him and not to seek recognition from him self-justification again may manifest itself in a different way seeking praise from god may not be your struggle but do you find yourself justifying your actions by making excuses something goes wrong on the job that you could have helped to prevent from happening. But instead of humbling yourself and admitting you could have done something differently, you say, well, that was not my responsibility to begin with. Or you may be, it may be in a relationship without, with a friend and you lose your temper. And instead of being humble and apologizing, you say, well, if you didn't say that, I wouldn't say that. If you never did this, I wouldn't do this. And so we begin to justify our actions. And we see the first example of self-justification in Genesis 3 that we that I referenced earlier. What happened? When God called Adam in the garden and Adam was hiding, God asked Adam, did you eat of the fruit? What did Adam say? Adam said, it was the woman that you gave me that made me do it. And then what did Eve say? Eve said, it was a serpent that made me do it. So here we see Self-justification, instead of admitting a wrong and confessing and asking for forgiveness, we pass the blame to somebody else. That is pridefulness. Self-justification is sinful pride because it's a refusal to be humble and admit all wrong. But instead we pass the blame. So we looked at a few self-exaltation, self-promotion, self-justification. And I want us to be careful not to to say, okay, well, I I may fit in this category and not another because you can cross categories. There's nothing to say that if you self-justify, you you don't also engage in self-exaltation or self-promotion. You're not in one category at the exclusion of any other category. So I I encourage you to be open this morning as I share and ask the Lord to reveal to you, where do you fit? Let us continue. Remember, Satan wants to attack our identity. It could be that your struggle is comparing yourself to your friends and your peers, and you feel less accomplished than they are. The next two forms of self oh, sorry of sinful pride. And my and the list I'm sharing is not is not exhaustive. There may be other types of sinful pride, but I want to focus on these this morning. So the next two forms of sinful pride are often not recognized or acknowledge, acknowledged as sinful pride because we disguise them in failure. And the next one is self-degradation. And this is pridefulness where you put yourself down. Putting yourself down is prideful because the focus is on you. And yes, as humans, we know that we're mere dust and we should recognize our unworthiness before God. But I don't want you to miss this point. There is a difference between a sense of unworthiness and a sense of worthlessness. And that is what self-degradation is. And it will manifest itself in, in, in ways like this. Think, we, we say things like, well, I know I don't have much to contribute, but. Or, well, my opinion may not make a difference, but. Or, well, this is my two cents worth. Hear me out. These statements are sinful pride veiled in self-degradation. Because what is happening is that you're calling yourself a fool before anyone does. And that's a harsh statement, but it's the truth. Before anyone gets to call you worthless, you call yourself worthless. Before anyone gets a chance to discount your opinion, you are going to discount it yourself. Matthew 5.22 says, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So consider this. If God warns us against calling Somebody else a fool. Isn't it equally wrong to call ourselves fools? In part one, I looked at the resurrection power that is available to us through Jesus' humility to death on the cross. Romans 6:10 says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. So if we're putting ourselves down, what is that saying about the Holy Spirit that is living on the inside of us? Have have you ever thought about that? And you may be struggling with self-degradation, but again, that may not be your issue. What about self-demotion? Self-demotion is pridefulness where you compare yourself to others. And this form of pride may be tied to self-degradation and it can manifest in degrading yourself privately, demoting yourself publicly and degrading yourself privately. How do you demote yourself publicly? You publicly state that what you have done is not as good as somebody else. Let's look at an example. Well, I know mine is not as good as, but I know that I've submitted is not the same as so-and-so-but. Self-demotion can result in creating a pity party for yourself. The deceptive thing about self-demotion is that it doesn't look like pride. When you self-demote, you're fishing for praise, not from a place of feeling worthless, as in the case with self-degradation, but you're fishing for praise from a sense of unrecognized worth. In other words, you self-demote because you're you're fishing for affirmation. And Satan is cunning. Self-degradation and self-demotion are born out of an emotional need. Could that be you today? Everything that I've discussed so far is born out of a need engaging in self-degradation, self-demotion, self-justification, self-promotion, self-exaltation. But what about self-sufficiency? We may be quick to say, well, I don't don't fall in any of those categories, but what about self-sufficiency? Do you consider yourself self-sufficient? Again, As is the case with the others I mentioned, self-sufficiency is a form of pride that can be hard to recognize, or it can even be dismissed because it is veiled as independence. And if this is your struggle, could it be that Satan is taking advantage of an emotional need that you have that may be born out of the lack of love, from a feeling of abandonment, or from a feeling of rejection? Possibly you were rejected in a relationship, and so you tell yourself, nobody is going to walk away from me again. So what happens? You build emotional walls around yourself to protect yourself. You say, you 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 are determined that persons can only come this far and no further because you are not going to be hurt again. And it, this doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. This can happen in platonic relationships. You erect emotional barriers to protect yourself. And and why is that prideful? Yes, it is prideful because you know what you're saying? You are saying to God that even if this relationship, be it romantic or platonic, even if this relationship is what you want for me, my feelings are more important. And what happens as a result of that pridefulness? We become our own stumbling block in the fulfillment of god's purpose in our lives god may want to put somebody in your life who will genuinely love you and care for you again whether in a friendship or otherwise god wants to send friends people to love you encourage you support you but you set up emotional barriers in a romantic relationship, you may say, okay, well, all right, yes, I'm willing to, to, to get involved in another relationship, but you declare that this person, he or she, can only come this far and no further. You hold back and you protect yourself. Why? I'm not going to do it to me again. Again, you are saying to God that even if this is what you want for me, how I feel is more important. That is sinful right? And for some, it may be that you have been betrayed by a friend or a loved one. Maybe they did something for you or gave you something and then remind you of it later as we say in Jamaica, them church in their face and you feel humiliated. You vow never to take anything from anybody else again or ask anybody to do anything for you. Why? Because nobody will ever get a chance to do that to you again. So you have conditioned yourself to provide for yourself. End of story. Punto final. You are self-sufficient. You are independent. If you can't work for it and get it for yourself, then you will do without. We love to say that. If anybody ever thinks that they're going to take step with me again, then have another thing come in. Well, that was me. And you know what the Lord said to me? Really, Karen? Have you ever stopped to weigh that position against what my word says? And the Lord reminded me of Philippians 4, 19, that we all love to quote, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We love to say that. And then the Lord took me to Deuteronomy ten fourteen, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. And I I want you to pay careful attention to where I'm going with this. Reason this out with me as the Lord revealed it to me. If I'm declaring that the Lord shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory, and if the scriptures say that he owns everything on earth and everything in it, then by deduction, it means that God can use anything or anyone to supply my needs. Because he owns everything that is owned by everyone. Make sense? So catch this. This is what the Lord said to me last night. Karen, if you in your sinful side decide that you don't want anything from anyone, then in essence, you are saying you don't want anything from me. And if that is you this morning, don't dismiss what I'm saying. You are saying, I was saying, if God, if I cannot dictate the terms on which the provision is made, if I cannot dictate who God uses to supply my needs, then I will fend for myself. Is that you this morning? If that's the case, how well is that working for you? We can call it independent. We call it self-sufficient. We cloak it up and we dress it however we want, but self-sufficiency is sinful pride. And self-sufficiency can manifest itself in another way. You may not be as radical as I am, or I was, deciding not to accept anything. Maybe you accept it, but you have difficulty in receiving when you are given something. You take it, but you struggle even with expressing thanks to the giver. Why? Because lest they think that they owe you anything, lest they think they have one on you, you say, okay, I will thank God. I don't need to thank them for anything. And you, you may be quick to thank God for the, the, the provision, but you fail to thank the person who was used by God to make that provision. And we know very well the story of the 10 lepers. What did Jesus say? There were 10. Why is it only one returned to express thanks? Expression of gratitude is a sign of humility. And all this happens when, can you, can you still hear me? I just got a message on my screen, yes, okay. All this happens when we do not walk in our rightful position as children of God and we allow Satan to question our identity in God. Jesus is setting the example for us by demonstrating that because of his confidence in who he was in his father, he had nothing to prove to Satan and that my brothers and sisters is the bedrock of humility humility is not about not wanting to be recognized or want or or awarded for accomplishments humility is not about devaluing yourself or discounting your hard-earned accomplishments humility is not born from a feeling of smallness or helplessness or unworthiness or worthlessness Humility is about recognizing that we should be it's so much in awe of God, who is so much greater than we are, that everything that we have and everything we are is only by his grace. Humility is described in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. And this sums it up Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility should have us at a place where our only motivation should be to reverence God and to serve each other out of reverence for God. Jesus, when tempted by Satan, was a perfect example. We, as children of God, are heirs of God and joint heirs with with Christ. We have nothing to prove. The truly humble person is a free person. That person has nothing to prove. You don't have to prove your worth. You don't have to prove that you belong. You don't have to prove that you have arrived. You don't have to prove that you have power over somebody. The truly Mm -hmm. humble person Mm -hmm. is a free person. You have nothing to gain. You don't have to gain admiration. You don't have to gain acceptance. You don't have to gain validation. The truly humble person is a free person. You have nothing to defend. You don't need to defend your honor. You don't need to defend your position. When we not only know, but begin to live like we know our positions in God, we will be humble. And so I want us to to, 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 to look at some practical things this morning. Where do we go from here? What are some practical steps that we can take to walk in humility? The first thing I want us to do is to examine ourselves. Ask the Lord to reveal to you if you are prideful. And it is possible that pridefulness will show up in different ways. So I'm going to read. I'm going to ask some questions. But again, don't think that you're limited to anyone. You can cross over. Be open to hear what the Lord is saying concerning what your struggle is. Ask yourself, do I exalt myself? Do I promote myself? Do I justify myself? Do I degrade myself? Do I demote myself? Or do I consider myself to be self-sufficient? Some more questions to consider. Are you quick to judge? Are you overly concerned about what others think about you? Do you feel superior to others or tell them whether directly or indirectly that they're inferior to you? Do you get satisfaction from putting others down? Do you get pleasure not from having something, but knowing that what you have is more than what somebody else has? Do you feel validated when you're complimented or recognized? Do you compare yourself with others to make yourself look good? Do you feel threatened by the success of others? Are you resentful because of the success of others? Do you have a tendency to put people in their place? Do you have a tendency to think or to say, do you know who you're dealing with? Do you have a tendency to think that being asked to do certain things are beneath you? Are you quick to list your accomplishments, your titles, your certificates, your degrees? Or are you quick to discount your accomplishments? Are you frustrated about your own limitations? Are you quick to blame others or make excuses for your own mistakes? Are you quick to explain or defend yourself? Do you find yourself talking negatively about yourself? Do you seek attention and affirmation from others by making yourself look inferior? Do you discount the value of your contribution? Do you consider yourself independent? Are you quick to reject compliments from others? Do you have difficulty receiving from others? Do you have difficulty expressing gratitude to others? And this list of questions I, I, I will share in the chat later. But And I want you to, to recognize that the list is not exhaustive, but I encourage you that if you see yourself anywhere in anything I've said, Maybe, just maybe there are some things that you need to work on, but you first need to acknowledge it, then repent and ask the Lord to forgive you of that sinful pride. Joyce Meyer puts it this way, as long as you make excuses for something, you cannot get food from it. And so we first need to acknowledge it and repent of it. My second recommendation to walk in humility is that we need to examine our motives. Why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Do your motives ultimately glorify God? And you may be thinking, do my motives glorify God? That sounds very biblical and and theological. Okay, let's put it another way. Do you do what you do because it makes you feel superior to others who are less accomplished? It makes you feel like you belong. It makes you feel like you have arrived. It makes you feel more respected, more independent. It makes you feel worthy. It makes you feel ultimately that you are pleased, your flesh what your flesh desires is satisfied. Remember, as I shared in part one, that God and self cannot coexist. And so if self is in the picture, sinful pride and a lack of dependence on God is in the picture. And both cannot coexist. So if, you, if your motives are wrong, again, there's an opportunity to confess them and ask the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, to forgive you. My third point in my recommendation on how to walk in humility, excuse me, is that we need to recognize that Satan's power is limited and resisting. Recognize that Satan's power is limited and resisting. And let's go back to Jesus' example in Matthew 4. Let's look at the second temptation. Notice what Satan said to Jesus. He said, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down. Satan could not cast Jesus down. Satan's power is limited. He can only come so far and no further. He can persuade us to be prideful. He he can tempt us to do all the things that I mentioned before, but he cannot make us do it. He can say to, to, to us, cast yourself down and live in sinful pride, but he cannot cast us down. So when we refuse to walk in humility, it is our own choice. And there's a consequence to pay for that choice. James 1, 14 to 15 says... But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So let us stop giving in to the temptation to satisfy our flesh. As children of God, we are not at a disadvantage. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. In us to be able to defeat Satan. So, after recognizing that Satan's power is limited, we need to resist him. Jesus, after the third temptation, said, Away from me, Satan. Jesus' absolute and unmatched authority was on full display. He did not ask Satan to leave him, he commanded him to leave him. And as Christians, we do not have to entertain Satan with his temptations. The same authority with with Jesus commanded Satan to go. We too can command him to go. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It it doesn't say he may flee. He says he will flee. So we have the power to resist Satan. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken me except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that I may be able to bear it. God will make a way of escape if we submit and humble ourselves. So to reinforce what I've suggested so far, examine yourself and ask the Lord to reveal sinful pride. Examine your motives. Recognize Satan's power is limited and resist the devil. And my fourth recommendation is let us walk in the identity. Let us walk in our identity as children of God. When we know who we are in Christ, we can walk in the confidence of that and not be swayed to give in to the desires to please the flesh flesh and to be prideful. Matthew 3, verse 17 says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. This is my son whom I love. And I want to personalize that this morning. See yourself in that you this is you is it's present tense, meaning now my is ownership and son is offspring. So I want you to hear God saying that to you today. You, Ava, are my daughter who now belongs to me, you are my offspring. You, Tashina, you, Ruth. You, Reefa. You, Richard. You, Anne. You, Tamar. You, Winsome. You, Jordan. You, Lucy. You, Anika. You, Larry. And whoever else is on that I cannot see, you now belong to me. You are my offspring. Hear God saying that to you this morning. Stand in the confidence of your kingship to God, your identity in God. Constantly remind yourself of what the word of God says about you. For I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. God predestined me for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. For my sake, He made him sin to be him sin, sorry, for my sake, He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. Confess what God's word says about you. Confess it over yourself. And my fifth and final recommendation is act on what God reveals to you. All the four points I made before are internal. But when we're prideful, we affect other people. So whatever God reveals concerning pridefulness in your life, May require asking him more. May require sorry more than asking him for forgiveness. Humility also means apologizing and asking for forgiveness. And so I encourage you to ask the Lord to tell you who you need to apologize to, and who you need to ask to forgive you. And this is something that I have had to do. If you've been offended and hurt by others, forgive them. I have had to do that. And this is something the Lord told me to do concerning a particular matter. And I had to call the person and say, I forgive you. But in doing so, I want to encourage you to guard your heart against offense and hurt if what you say is not received. Because what the person said to me, forgive me for what. Then I not apologize for nothing. I, and I had to say, I said, no, no, forgiveness is one way. This is my decision. I choose to forgive you. You don't, you don't, you don't have to. You don't even have to respond. But I had to humble myself and make that decision to call this person, as a matter of fact, these persons, and say, I forgive you. And the reverse is also true. If you have offended or hurt others, you need to apologize and ask to be forgiven. And likewise, I will encourage you to guard your heart against hurt and offense. Because you may not necessarily hear, okay, I accept your apology. You may not necessarily hear, okay, I forgive you. But again, I remind you that forgiveness is one way. It's you making a decision to do that. And it may not be about forgiving or even being asked to be forgiven. It may be about humbling yourself in another respect. And again, this is something I've had to do. Let me tell you, this Lord, a lot messenger. Someone gave me something that I use frequently and sometime I got the person took it back. And I said, okay, I accepted it and I moved on. And a few weeks ago, a friend of mine asked me, why don't you ask the person to give it back to you? And I said, well, I never thought about it. And I genuinely never thought about it. I just accepted it as it was and done. And since I was asked that question, I started processing it. And as I was preparing this message on humility, I kept thinking about it. And know that it was in my consciousness. Why haven't you asked this person back for that thing? I recognize that my decision, know that I'm thinking about it and still not asked for it. My decision to not ask for it was because of pridefulness. And last night, I was still working on this message that I thought I finished last week. And after nine, the Lord said to me, you need to Call the person and i them back for it and you know what i said i said well they am probably sleeping by now so i may do it in the morning and i said okay i'll do it in the morning and i was lying in my bed i did i was in bed um, i was awake up until i don't know maybe minutes to one snuggle up in my bed i have my position comfortable position and in that position I heard the Lord say, Karen, set your phone to remind you in the morning to call the person and ask for the thing. And I was too comfortable. And I said, I said, Lord, just remind me now. Just remind me in the morning. I don't want to change my position to set it on the phone. But you know what I love about God? God is so gentle. Because although I was resisting and trying to find all kinds of excuses not to, the Lord reminded me this morning. And He could have allowed me in my, 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 my decision to be rebellious to go my own way but he's so gentle with us and he reminded me this morning and quarter past nine before I came on NLH I called that person and I asked I said can I get it back I asked the person that question, and the person said why and I said because I want it back you know how much humility it took for me to do that But I know the Lord is doing something in me. And brothers and sisters, I know he wants to do something in you. So I encourage us, don't just listen to this message and walk away from it and say, oh, you know, you have your notes in your book and you shut the book and that is it. This 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 is one of those messages that we have to live out. And I am challenging you as I close. Get an accountability partner. Get somebody who you trust somebody who you know has your best interests at heart and share what it is that you struggle with and ask them to hold you accountable. That is what is going to help us through this. So I dare say to us this morning that none of us are are where we need to be. But let us like Paul in Philippians 3, resolve to forget what is behind us and strain towards what is ahead let us press on towards the goal to win the prize for which god has called us heavenward in christ jesus humility can be a lonely road because it is contra to what society dictates is normal but the beauty is that we have a savior who has set the example for us and we can follow his example and the song that is going to be played shortly is one that we grew up singing probably all of us know it and this the song is entitled i have decided to follow jesus no turning back and for as long as i can remember singing this song when i hear it and when i sing it i think of it in relation to a lifelong commitment to christ as my lord and savior I think of it as not walking away from Jesus Christ, as we we call it backsliding. And that may be you too. But as you listen to it this morning, I want to encourage you to listen to it in the light of the context of this teaching on humility. And as it plays, and as you sing, no turning back, ask the Lord to show you what it is that you are turning away from. Is it self-exaltation? Is it self-promotion? Is it self-justification? Is it self-degradation? Self-demotion? Or self-sufficiency? Then, as we sing, let us recommit to following Jesus' example of walking in humility. So let us listen to this song and listen purposefully, purposefully. God bless you.